Hello, and welcome to Calming the Chaos with Tracy Canella, licensed mental health counselor at Lokahi Counseling. This podcast offers tips, tools, and techniques to help people who are overwhelmed, stressed out, anxious, depressed, angry, or struggling with an addiction, eating disorder, or relationship problems. Through my own personal stories, experiences, and training, my intention is to offer you some new ways of coping with mental chaos and moving toward a calmer, more peaceful life. As you listen to this podcast, just know that although I am a licensed mental health counselor, this podcast is not a substitute for counseling or psychotherapy. If you're really struggling with something and you don't have a counselor, I strongly recommend that you call your physician or the crisis line in your area and ask them for help finding a licensed mental health counselor who can help you. That being said, now let the chaos begin. Let's say I have five cookies. I'm going to have a dip in my blood sugar that is five cookies deep until it can re-regulate. Whereas if I have two cookies, my dip is going to be much smaller. I would love to see that that visual. I know you're very much into visuals. This is probably driving you crazy not being able to write it down and show our audience what you mean. But I like that illustration. Yeah. The five cookie dip versus the two cookie dip. Yeah. Or the three cups of rice versus one cup. So one thing I tell people a lot with blood sugar regulation, I shun away from the idea of labeling foods as good and bad. I don't think that's helpful to people. I don't think we should say cookies are bad, rice is bad. It's really, for me, it's not about good and bad. What it is about, however, is proper balance and regulation. So if I go out to Chinese food, for example, I don't deem that rice is bad for me. Mm -hmm. But what I do know is a certain portion of rice, well, I can stay in okay balance the rest of the day. Too big of a portion. So a three scoop of rice meal versus a one scoop is going to have a much different impact on my ability to stay in good blood sugar regulation. And the way I talk about it with people is we wake the monsters up, which is interesting with this idea of hangry. So when I get too low of blood sugar or consequently too high of blood sugar, I feel out of balance and then my moods are out of balance. So I'm either too sleepy when I'm low or I get super angry or irritable when I get too high. So those are both mood states, obviously, that you would identify as being hangry. And also probably in lieu of what you talk about, you would feel chaotic in those states. You'd feel like out of your balance and out of your zone. And I talk about it like you would be waking the monsters up. And the monsters are all those emotions that we're trying to keep sort of in check when we're regulated to feel good. And this is where I think mindfulness does come in. And what you described about the rice and knowing what works well with your system is, I guess, maybe not true for all of us. We all have different systems, right? So we all need to sort of be mindful about what works with our own systems. You have told me that you have noticed what works well with your system. It may be that mine works differently, but it does involve being mindful. Yes. Absolutely. And one of the things that I think challenges so many people emotionally is we are bombarded with information about 
good, bad food, about which diet works, about carbs being good and bad or fat being good and bad. And it gets really complicated and confusing because like you just said, which I highlight all the time in my office, we are all different. And really understanding and working with what your body needs and what balances of food and energy work for you, whether that is being a vegetarian, being a vegan, being a meat eater. To me, there's not one right fix for everybody. And yet we often read information all over online, on the internet, in books that make it confusing thinking that there would be one right answer for the way that we eat. Yeah. So noticing what works with your system might be a good way to prevent hangry from happening or the dip in the blood sugar. I notice this is true for my system and then being able to practice that. I think that'd probably be a pretty good preventative method for hangry. What about a mindset preventative strategy that you would suggest for people who find themselves being hangry? Yes. I would say that the biggest preventative strategy that I would notice applying to all people would be there is some foundational good information about nutrition and using that foundational information to help with your mood state. And one of the best ways to keep a balanced blood sugar throughout the day which also would keep the most balance in your mood and your hangriness or your feeling of chaotic. So the best way to think about keeping yourself in in optimal balance to make sure that in our meals and when we are eating food, that we are balancing carbohydrates with some sort of fat, with some sort of protein. So that combination of ingredients in food is what will help to keep a blood sugar the most regulated and on track. Could you give us an example about the protein, fat, and carb combination when you're not on the go, and then a good example of a protein, fat, carb combination when you're on the go? Because I know a lot of people are traveling around and or don't have time to just stop and have a formal meal. But if you have some suggestions of the types of foods that people will eat with a good balance of protein, carbs, and fats, that would be really helpful, I think. Yes. Let's say not on the go. If I was helping a parent, for example, to work with their kid before they go to school, oftentimes kids tell me, I want to have a bagel or a Pop-Tart or cereal or some sort of like donut pastry type food. So all of those foods to me fall in the carbohydrate category. Mm -hmm. And I tend to not want to tell someone don't have that. I say, how about if we have less of that, and then we combine that with a fat and a protein, which protein could be some sort of meat for sure, could be bacon, could be sausage, but it also could be some sort of non-meat, which could be peanut butter, which could be cottage cheese, which could be nuts, and then some sort of fat, which could be butter, which could be, again, some of those nuts and seeds, and peanut butter is a good example. So if somebody was telling me they were having a bagel, In fact, I had someone in my office. He told me he liked to have the big Costco-sized bagel, and that was it for breakfast. This was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's a whole lot of carbohydrate, and it's going to throw him out of balance by the time he gets to school. And he was wanting to eat more snacks pretty quickly. And I thought, what if we have half the bagel, 
And then on the bagel, we put peanut butter, which would be a great fat and protein combination. Or we have the bit half a bagel with peanut butter and a hard boiled egg for protein or a slice of bacon. So some way to just get the body regulating the blood sugar better is adding those fats and proteins. People don't usually have too much of a problem finding the carb source because we have so many carbs. They have trouble sometimes adding in the proteins and the fats. For sure. And I know with our work in treating eating disorders, that comes into play quite a bit as far as people are afraid of those proteins and especially afraid of the fat because they are afraid of gaining weight. How are you able to address those sorts of issues in your office when people are like, well, I don't want to put peanut butter on my bagel because it's going to make me fat? I use that same sort of concept with them. And in fact, there's another interesting truth about food that people don't realize is typically the fat on our body is in the form of a triglyceride fat, which is three triglycerides, which is three carbohydrates, essentially, is what makes a triglyceride fat that we would store on our body. So I try and help a person with an eating disorder to realize that fat in a food form like an avocado or an oil, is not necessarily what gets translated into fat on your body, but that's not actually how your body functions. Your body actually takes excess carbohydrates, like that extra half of a bagel is what gets converted into a triglyceride and turned into fat. It's not the fat from the avocado that I turn into triglyceride fat on my body. So first I try and break some of the the myth ideas that they have about what food is. And then I try and help them to understand that because that there's some things that they have come to believe that are not actually true about the way food works and the way that they feel and what we need fat and protein for, for our mood regulation and feeling better and emotional stability. Give it a try with experimenting with some of these different things and see that the result is not what that you expect that it might be. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that about the fat on our body does not equal the fat in our food. And I'm sure you probably have a drawing for that too as well. I would love to see that. And so if you are hangry and you're noticing that you are and say you're on the go and you find yourself to be hangry or even hungry or out of balance, is there something that would be good to be able to to eat to balance that out right away? I'm, I'm kind of thinking about what you do with diabetics when they have, when they crash yeah. or when something yeah. happens, what do you give them? And so maybe I'll have to modify my, my snack box that I have in my office, but mm-hmm. yeah, what are some ideas to be able to quickly balance that out? Yeah, that's a great question. In fact, a lot of times when I have people who are struggling with the after work food issue that they have where they can't make it home to have dinner because they're so hungry by the end of the day, that that's a common time where they stop for fast food or do something else that they're trying to work on not doing as much. I often suggest that people keep their own snacks and sort of on the go items in their car or in their desk or if they have children where that's an issue, that they keep them in their purse. And so some of the items that I would suggest really have this sort of, I have my hands in like a little triangle right now. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's kind of like that. It's like, there's three different parts that I want to make sure that I'm thinking about when I'm having some kind of snack to get me regulated. And that's this protein, fat, and carb combination. So the biggest things that I would say is don't have just a carb, 
don't have just a bag of chips. Sticking with things that are nuts are a great one because nuts have a combination on their own of fat, protein, and carbs. So some foods are just built that way. They just not beans also. One of the things I'm really into now is these dried chickpeas. So if somebody's not a meat eater, they can have beans, hummus, and those sorts of snacks. And now they make a lot of I don't necessarily love our portable food industry because we do create a lot of waste that way. But when we're thinking about on-the-go health, I realize that in our fast-paced sort of society, the way that things go, I would rather have someone have the snacks that will help them with these blood sugar and mood regulation than not have them. And then eventually get to a place where if they want to make their own hummus, for example, there are a lot of portable snacks now that are prepackaged that will help people to have in an emergency on the go situation or for their kids. One of them is these pre-containered hummus cups, and then there's pre-made guacamole cups. And often they have a better shelf stability in life. There's little bags of nuts. I was saying dried chickpeas is another good idea because they are high protein. There's a lot of high protein type snack bars. So kind bars, things that have nuts in them, or at least a good amount of protein content. So not just a traditional granola bar with a lot of sugar, but a a bar that has some nuts and things like that. There's pre-packaged peanut butter cups. We do a lot of like cut up celery and carrots to go with those things. But again, maybe somebody wants things that they don't have to freshen up every day. So it's good to have some of those sort of like non-perishable things in a snack bag for the emergency situation. And if somebody is not someone that over consumes nuts, that's usually a really good deal with hangry in the moment solution. Yeah, I remember hearing about the diabetic situation that they fed them peanut butter and orange juice or something like that to get their blood sugar up right away. Mm -hmm. And so I like your ideas and your suggestions. Sure, it does take some preparation to have the stuff on hand, but if you want to be more focused, if you want to be able to track what's going on, not feel like you're being aggressive to somebody, possibly Mm -hmm. being able to prevent hangry from happening, then these sorts of things would be great to have on hand. Mm -hmm. So great. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got balanced versus unbalanced and fed versus unfed dopamine (laughs) and serotonin. And the fat on our body does not necessarily equal the fat in food form and mindfulness, just balance and the, the triangle. Wow, I'm really enjoying the conversation Katie and I are having about helping the hangry. One of the things I've noticed coming up during our conversation is the importance of awareness. Awareness is an important first step to calming the chaos in any situation. Why? Because you really can't take action to restore a calm balance to your mind and body when you aren't even aware of what's going on. Unfortunately, awareness doesn't come naturally to all of us. And that's why I created a collection of nine daily practices that you can listen to that teach you how to be more mindfully aware throughout the day. Each practice is less than 10 minutes long. Practicing mindfulness has been shown to reduce stress and increase clear thinking in times of chaos. So you can listen to practices on a CD that I created called On This Day, and the CD is available through Amazon. And you can also find each individual practice on Apple Music. 
In the meantime, because we're talking about helping the hangry in this episode, I'm releasing the mindful eating practice off of the CD for you to listen to for free. All you need to do is go to my YouTube account. Check the show notes for more information about where to find my YouTube page. And then listen about how you can become more mindfully aware with food, eating, and your body. So now, let's go back to our interview with Katie Hart. Anything else you want to say about hangry? Um, Just one other thing, actually, as you were recapping that, that made me think of was one of the other real important strategies that I think can help a lot of people, because we all end up in situations where, you know, maybe I worked through lunch, or I know that I'm over hungry, and I feel my my hangry energy happening. And now I'm going to go interact with a friend or a partner or I have a meeting and I or a presentation and I don't want to show up and be food deprived so then I feel like I need just need to grab something on the go like we were talking about or I'm on my way to have to meet my friend Tracy for dinner <laughs> after work but I'm really hungry already and so then I mm. go to dinner and I want to order extra things because yeah. I'm so hungry because I let myself get too low. And so one of the things that I often encourage people to do who are struggling with emotional responses to food like that is I often have them eat something that is a fat or one of these on-the-go type snacks about 30 minutes before they go into their meal, because that will actually stabilize their blood sugar, and then they will be able to make more rational decisions as they move into their eating experience. Mm-hmm. and not sort of do that. I show up at home and the first thing I do is walk to the fridge because I'm so hungry. So even though I'm going to make dinner, I'm already snacking on something even before I'm making my dinner meal. So what is an appropriate sort of in-between thing to eat to keep you balanced so that you don't feel like now I'm over-consuming food just because I'm so hungry and I'm trying to like regulate these emotions. Well, I'm very curious to know, because as you were talking about that, I was thinking about the people who are not able to be in their bodies and even notice hunger. Is Mm. there, yeah. And so they wouldn't be even aware of that maybe until they got into the restaurant and they smelled the food and then they were all of a sudden aware that they have hunger. So I'm just sort of wondering what a skill might be to get you better noticing the feelings that are happening in your body? If you tend to be distracted or not aware of the feelings that are in your body, is there something that you suggest to your clients that they'll, that'll help them get a little bit more familiar with what's going on with their systems and in their bodies? Yes, absolutely. And that is a common thing is that, that many people who have either eating disorders or have had disconnection with their emotional relationship with food often can tell me that they don't know when they're hungry or not hungry anymore. And if somebody is in that situation, then a better suggestion for them might be paying attention in a more calculated way to on paper, when was the last time I ate? Like taking it out of a physical, emotional body experience. If I'm someone who says, I don't know when I'm hungry anymore, then I say, I will help you to figure out how frequent you should eat and how much until your body starts to, and it will, 
as you know, with your patients, Mm -hmm. it will eventually start to have hunger and fullness cues again, even if you have lost the ability to have them now. But if you don't have them, I really hope that people can learn to not judge that, but really to start to put themselves on a schedule, which might be I eat every three hours or I listen to a dietitian's guidelines and I follow a plan until my body starts to release those hormones appropriately again. Mm -hmm. And then I can start to be the own judge of when I need to eat or not eat. But another thing I have people do is I have them do a body scan, which Mm -hmm includes their emotions. So before I am meeting someone for dinner, if I feel like, oh, I've had a really rough day, I had a lot of stressful patients, and I haven't eaten in a while, and I feel like I'm not in a really grounded place to make a good food choice for what's going to make me feel good after, then I would have someone sit on their own before the eating experience and actually just do a quick scan of their whole body. And that doesn't have to look like progressive muscle relaxation. This is a different kind of tool, but more like a grounding body scan where I would look at my being and go, what emotions do I have that are up right now? Well, I'm really stressed because I had a fight with my partner or I had a really busy day or I had to skip lunch. Like, let me just do a quick evaluation of where I'm at emotionally. And then let me do a quick evaluation of when was the last time I ate? Where am I at with that? And then sometimes I go to the point of having someone do a quick pre-plan. And this is probably a key tool, like a pre-plan on my food experience. So if I know that it's been a long time since I ate, I know that I've had a really emotionally stressful day. I'm kind of frazzled. I'm you know, running late for dinner. I have a lot of emotional stuff going on and I might be blood sugar depleted. Then Sometimes a helpful thing is not to walk into the restaurant, Mm -hmm. just an emotional, like in that chaos Mm -hmm. and walk in and think, oh, it smells delicious in here. Now I want an appetizer. Now I want, like, don't let that emotion guide my eating. Sometimes I encourage someone then to sit outside the restaurant. If I know I'm going to have Thai food, then I might pre-plan in my mind, what is the strategy that I want to use before I'm in the situation? I, I like the way you Happen, said, yeah. not, not, not judging yourself that way, but not judging yourself at all for even struggling with these things. I think that's a very good sort of way to be gentle and kind and compassionate yeah. while you're trying to figure these issues out with food. And I know a lot of people struggle with it. So, and you do too, I'm sure, because we get a lot of calls about this in our practices. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think like really coming, approaching your own eating from a place of non-judgment. So, recognizing that some of what we're talking about might feel like more evolved than where somebody is, but really recognizing that it can be a process, but eating issues and challenges and problems can be healed and remedied. And we as professionals have lots of solutions to help people with that. So they're not alone in that journey. And there's this idea that you just said that people come into my office and I'm sure into your office and they feel so confused and frustrated or struggling with their relationship with food or people feel so sad that they don't have any connection to their body or their hunger or their fullness or when to stop eating and they feel shame and worry that they won't ever be able to have those normal hunger and fullness and these cues. 
Yeah. Like it feels pretty disconcerting when you, when you think I have gotten to a place in my own life where I can't tell if I'm full, I can't tell if I'm hungry, or I even have patients who sometimes tell me I am always hungry, always. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. It doesn't matter how much I've eaten. It's the opposite problem of not having hunger and fullness cues. They feel like they're always being cued that they're hungry. Yeah. And that's another time where I encourage them to take professional advice and, and trust that somebody's going to, can help you to learn to re-regulate your endorphins like we started to talk about, they will come back into balance. When we have abused or mismanaged them, they often have become reactive. So if I haven't fed myself very much for a while, my hunger and fullness cues will stop firing. Or if I'm overfeeding myself, it often will be the opposite where they just fire all the time. Well, speaking of taking the advice of a professional, Katie, what would you like to tell us about how to contact you or to get information about your practice? We are online at www.heartspace.com, and that's H-A-R-T-S-S-P-A-C-E. We also have an Instagram page, also Heartspace, and we have a Facebook which is also heart space with two S's. We post a lot of different things about mindfulness and the different things that we're doing or working on. And just great, I think, tips to keep grounded. We're working on some retreats, which is really exciting that we're going to start to bring some of these things together. And we can be contacted at any of those locations with any questions or if anybody's seeking more information about how to bring mood, food, mental health, and nutrition and all these things together in a way that works for them. Great. So it's all one heart space, H-A-R-T-S-S-P-A-C-E.com. And that's either on the web or on Instagram or on Facebook. Thank you so much today for being with us, Katie. And I appreciate all of the knowledge and information that you brought to the table about how to help the hangry. Yeah, thanks for asking me. And I'm super excited about uh, getting to share some of this and be on the podcast with you. Thank you for listening to Calming the Chaos. If the information in today's podcast was helpful, please consider subscribing and share it with your friends. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcast, Facebook, and on YouTube. And if you have any trouble finding this podcast, just go to my website at www.lokahicounseling.com. That is L-O-K-A-H-I-C-O-U-N-S-E-L-I-N-G.com. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to sharing my next podcast episode with you. In the meantime, take care.